Well, I hope you enjoyed seeing just a glimpse and hearing just a sample of what God did through the gifts of Arkansas Baptists last year across our state. And I hope that you will continue to give and to pray and get involved as the Holy Spirit leads you this year. Inside of your bulletins this morning is a prayer guide for, the, for this next week as you think about and pray for missions through the Arkansas Baptist State Convention right here in our home state. As our church, this helps us, refill, helps us fulfill our blessed responsibility, which is to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Can you say that with me? Love God, love people, make disciples. When we simply follow the great commandment and seek to fulfill the great commission, we then see God do great and mighty works, the chief of which is bringing people to know Him. Salvation is miraculous. I don't know if you realized it or not as we were singing through those last couple of songs in worship, but the fact that you and I are here worshiping God because we exercised faith in the grace shown to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, is evidence that a miraculous deed has indeed taken place within us. This supernatural wonder is a complete change of identity. We who were once dead, dead in our trespasses and sins, are made alive together with Christ and in Christ. The past two weeks, I have encouraged you to ponder your identity in Christ. You've also read and heard about our Christian identity in your Sunday school classes, or what I like to call first groups. In Ephesians, Paul identified the church as citizens in God's household and living stones in God's temple. That's who we are as a collective body as a family of believers we are citizens in God's household living stones in God's temple throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians Paul also presented ideas about our individual identities in Christ we who were sinners have become saints in Christ through his calling on us and his confirmation in us this morning, I would like to further examine one of those identifications of who we are in Christ. Paul stated the matter in Ephesians 2 and also in Colossians 2, which is where the text for the message is found today. So if you have a Bible, go to Colossians chapter 2 and follow along with me as I read verses 13 and 14. These verses help us know that in Christ the dead are made alive. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us 
and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. If you have ever been to the county courthouse to visit the state revenue office, to transfer the title of a car, or to get your driver's license, you understand the concept, proof of identity. In order to get your driver's license, you know that when you walk in there and say, my name is Jake, which you don't do that, I do, right? But my name is Jake, and I'm here to renew my driver's license. You must be able to demonstrate that you are who you claim to be. Nowadays, if you want to get one of those new enhanced security driver's license, you have to go to the, the regional office and show two or more proofs, acceptable proofs of identity. Now, here's the good news this morning. I'm not going to make you stand in line or wait, okay, like you have to do in the state revenue office, but I do want you to consider with me four proofs of your identity in Christ. These proofs will help you in sharing your faith, in settling personal doubts, in praising God for your salvation, and in growing your spiritual understanding. And just as proofs of legal identification point to the same person you claim to be in the revenue office, these proofs of our spiritual identification point to the same person that you are in Christ. When you who were once dead in your trespasses and sins claim to be made alive in Christ, who himself rose from the dead, you might, or others might, want to have some demonstrable proof of such a miraculous claim. In Christ, the dead are made alive. We know this truth through these four proofs. Proof number one. Verse 13, forgiveness of transgressions. Proof number one, forgiveness of transgressions. In both of the letters to the Ephesians and Colossians, Paul was writing to Christians who had come to faith in Christ from one of two general backgrounds. Before trusting in Christ, a person on the one hand might have been Jewish. That is, they believed in the one true God, they adhered to the practice of circumcision eight days after birth as a sign of God's covenant and they had his law. On the other hand before coming to faith in Christ a person might have been a Gentile. That is they were not a descendant of Abraham. They worshiped false gods. They were physically uncircumcised and they did not know God's law. Whether a person was Jewish or Gentile mattered not in the long run. Paul pointed out the reason why at the beginning of verse 13. Whether you transgressed God's law as a Jew or sinned as an uncircumcised Gentile without knowing God's law, you were spiritually dead just the same. A dead man can do nothing. So the living God did something. God made us, that is Jews and Gentiles in that day and time, and Americans in this day and time, alive together through the resurrection of His Son, Jesus. The first proof of our identity in Christ is that the, that the dead are made alive is at the end of verse 13. 
God chose to forgive us all our transgressions. The word transgressions here may be translated trespasses or sins in some of the English versions that you're reading this morning. It stems from a verb that means to fall, to fall down. When we sin, we fall short of God's glory. Like an arrow that misses the mark or a free throw that should be made, a transgression is a spiritual error or slip. Regardless of the intention to be good or the attempt to do right, a transgression refers directly to the disruption of man's relation to God through his own fault. In other words, you can't blame the fans in the stands who are slapping those loud noisemakers together as the reason you missed the spiritual free throw. We have made the mistake, but God's decision is to forgive. Forgiveness is not granted to people because we deserve a second chance. Rather, God forgives on the basis of his gracious attitude toward us. Forgiveness, then, is not a testament to our innocence or to our ignorance, but to God's grace and His goodness. He did not have to forgive. We had no right to be forgiven. God wanted to forgive us, and so He did. When I was 17, Pap, that's what I call my dad, bought me my first car. It was a wonderful gift, a 1997 gold Pontiac Grand Am from the auction in St. Louis. It had 253,000 miles on it. I had that car almost a month before my first wreck, and the accident was all my fault. I was making a, a left turn at the stoplight, not paying attention to the fact that although the traffic light was green, the arrow was not lit up, which meant I should yield to oncoming vehicles. And I just followed the car in front of me. And as I began to make the turn, I heard a horn honk. And then a lady in a silver Nissan Altima just plowed right into the side of my car, bending the frame between the two doors. Fortunately, neither of us were seriously injured in the accident but I knew it was my fault. So did God and everybody else who saw it. After pulling you know, off to the shoulder on the side of the road, I, I checked on the person in the other car. Then I called my mom because Pat didn't answer his phone. And then I had to talk to the police officer when he showed up. And I did the only thing that I know to do in the conversation I had with the lady who hit me. I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm so sorry. It was my fault. Will you forgive me? And she just simply said yes. I don't, maybe it was out of shock, I don't know, but regardless, she said yes. Now listen, I wasn't asking for her to make the police officer's failure to yield traffic citation disappear from my driving record. Uh, I wasn't asking her to make, to, to make my insurance rates not skyrocket. 
I wasn't asking her to turn back time so that the incident never happened. I, because of my own fault, had ruined the front end of her car and I had wronged her. I was asking her to forgive the personal offense I had committed. She did not forgive me because I was a responsible driver. I was a teenager who had his first car less than 30 days. I think the drive-out temporary tag was still on the back. She didn't forgive me because the damage wasn't severe. Her vehicle ended up totaled. She forgave me because she chose to forgive me. God forgave you because he chose to forgive you. You need to understand that there is nothing you have done, could do, or ever will do to earn yourself the right or respectability to be forgiven. God doesn't forgive us because our sin is insignificant or because we're good people who sometimes do bad things. God forgives us because he wants to forgive us. This is the first proof of your identity in Christ as one who was dead and has been made alive. God chose to forgive you in his own gracious character. And by doing so, he made you alive with his own son, Jesus Christ. In Christ, the dead are made alive. The second proof of being alive in Christ is connected to the first, and it's found at the beginning phrase of verse 14. Proof number two, cancellation of debt. Cancellation of debt. The phrase, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, explains how God forgave us. A certificate of debt in this day and time was a handwritten statement of financial accounts. That means that the details of the debt were personally recorded so that one could not deny the reason the debt had been incurred, nor could they make an excuse about the payment which was owed. This analogy fully carries over into the spiritual state of a person dead in their sins. The father is the bookkeeper. Our sin is the debt, and we, we are the debtors. The act of canceling a certificate of debt included the literal destruction of the document. This verb means to cause something to cease by obliterating any evidence to eliminate, do away with, or wipe out. Stephanie and I, are the proud owners of three children. And yes, we do have four, but let me explain. After Dr. Dunn or Dr. Layton or Drs. Tarano and Ketchum delivered our babies via C-section in the operating room, we spent a few days in the hospital, and then we came home with our little bundles of joy and held them, bathed them, fed them, changed their diapers. Megan's ready to be there at that point, aren't you? Yeah. Then out of nowhere, I mean, I, I don't know why, the hospital, the women's clinic, the pediatrician's office, and the anesthesiology department all decided to send us some mail. 
And when I opened up these envelopes, I discovered that every time they wanted money, bills, and we had to pay them. I think we, we have about three months, if I've calculated this right, of paying for Nason. So he's on layaway till Christmas, but he should be ours by then. Now, in all funny seriousness, there's one thing that I have loved doing when we finally paid off our kids. Which, by the way, I discovered that never happens. So, all of the bills from the pregnancies, the birth, you know, the neonatal care, when those things come in and, and I begin the process of paying and negotiating the plan with the hospital or the office, when I make that last payment, I take that last statement and, man... I ripped that dude to shreds. I mean, you've never seen a paper shredder do what I can do to a piece of paper. It is removed from the monthly budget. And I hug the kid that I just paid off and I tell them that they're stuck with us for life. <laughs> the debt is officially canceled. In God's record keeping, it's not up to us to do something to make things right. We can't. We're the debtors with an account who are so impoverished and our account so delinquent, we can't set up a payment plan. But God the bookkeeper looks at everything on the pages, closes the cover, and says, all of your sins and lawless deeds, I've added them together, but I tell you what, I'm not going to remember those anymore. He destroys the ledger of sins so that there is no longer a record of wrongs or an amount that is owed. Proof that we are alive in Christ is that God has canceled our sin debt. In Christ, we are made alive. The dead are made alive. And if this sounds just too good to be true that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins are now alive in Christ, then just wait until you read the fine print, because it gets gooder. Proof number three, removal of hostility. Verse 14, removal of hostility. Debt creates an enmity that stands between two peoples. In the case of our sin, there is hostility between us and God because of the ledger that we have filled with the wrong that we've done. And until the debt is removed, the relationship cannot be and will not be restored. There's a little music store down in Hoxie. You turn across the railroad tracks there at the armory, and then you, uh, you get to... Uh, faith tabernacle you take another left and then you take a ride at the stop sign and you'll you'll see it music and pawn inside you'll find a friendly guy who can play just about any instrument i think and hanging behind the counter where he's working when he's not playing his guitar you'll read a poster that says credit makes enemies let's be friends we have already made ourselves enemies of God by committing sin. It's not that God hates us for no good reason or that he even wants to be our enemy. 
It's that we are his creation and we have rebelled against our creator. Unfortunately for us, the Bible teaches in Romans 6.23 that the payment of sin is death. The line of credit results in a drastic payment. But God, he takes the debt out of the way. His free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is proof that God brings the dead to life in Christ. Instead of forcing us to pay what we owe, He simply took what we owe out of the way. In Christ, the dead are made alive. But how? How does God just cancel the debt and remove the hostility between him and us that answer is found in proof number four the crucifixion of christ proof number four of our identity is the crucifixion of christ our certificate of debt is canceled and the hostility we mounted between ourselves and god is removed in the person of christ Jesus died in order to make us alive. The songwriter Tim Hughes vividly explained this blessed substitution in a tagline of his song, Here I Am to Worship, with these words, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Many preachers have chimed the familiar tune before that God's grace is free, but it is not cheap. Grace is when we receive God's riches at Christ's expense. God made us alive together with Christ by choosing to forgive all of our transgressions, which was made possible by the canceling out of the certificate of debt against us through the removal of hostility against us in Jesus himself being nailed to the cross. And if I could take your brain and shove this truth in it so that you would grasp hold of it for the rest of your life, I would. At the beginning of verse 14, we read that the certificate of debt was canceled. But at the end of verse 14, we read that it was the person of Jesus that was nailed to the cross. Christ himself became our certificate of debt. The Apostle Paul stated it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt He did not owe. Because Jesus was nailed to the cross, our debt is paid in full. Perhaps no person has articulated the heart of this biblical principle better than Horatio Spafford in his famous hymn, which we sung together last week. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well with our souls because in Christ the dead are made alive. The power of the resurrection, the identification of our new life is evidenced by the proof of his crucifixion. If you've believed that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again from the grave, then you are alive in him. In Christ, we who were once dead in our trespasses and sins are now alive through his death on the cross for us. We are no longer buried in the tomb of transgression, for we have been resurrected unto righteousness. And instead of being wrapped in grave clothes, we are dressed in robes of white. When we understand our position and identity in Christ, we do not, we do not see ourselves as corpses in a casket at a funeral home but reborn children in the arms of our Father seated on his heavenly throne. In Christ, the dead are made alive. Are you alive? Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't yet come to faith in God's Son, Jesus, and you know that you're dead where you stand because you're spiritually dead and your trespasses and your sins against God. You can't be right and you can't do good because you're a sinner. You're wrong. You're wicked. Your heart is evil and twisted. I share with you today that God wants to make you who are dead alive through his son, Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is come to the point where you confess your sins to God. Give your life to him and he will give you new life. If you want to make that decision today, I'll be standing down here in the front as this song is played. And I just ask you to come and say, Jake, I want to have life in Jesus. Maybe you are already alive in Christ, but you've just forgotten the wonderful truth that in Christ the dead are made alive. Maybe where you stand, you just need to ask God to remind you of the miracle he's done in your life. Maybe you need to come and kneel at this altar and with the new life that he's given you, recommit to serving him and to honoring and glorifying him in all that you do. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to him?